With Hashem's assistance, we are learning Baba Metziah Davav, page 6. We begin at the very top of the page. So the Gemara is assuming until this point that generally we have a concept, and that's Migu We suspect that if a person is dishonest when it comes to money matters, so we also have reason to assume that he's also going to be dishonest in regards to a swear. And all the cases that we mentioned, that a person is allowed to swear, so for each case we gave an explanation why in that specific case, so it's an exception to the rule, for one reason or another, in some cases because he doesn't really view it as a dishonesty. So in any event, generally speaking though, if a person is dishonest in business, if a person is dishonest in money matters, so we would assume that he's also dishonest in regards to a swear. Now the Gemara is going to challenge that. This that Rav Nachman says, Rav Nachman told us that if someone denies completely that he owes any money, so we did Rabbanah from the sages, they created a swear, that he has to swear that in fact he doesn't owe this money. So the question is, why don't we say, that since we don't trust him in regards to monetary matters, right? Because he's completely denying it. And as Rashi says, and when you completely deny it, so that's a tremendous amount of chutzpah, in order to deny someone coming to you and saying, you owe me $100, the person responds and says, I don't know, owe you anything, I don't know what you're talking about. So that takes a tremendous amount of audacity to make such a claim. So that being the case, so we shouldn't trust him in regards to money matters, and we also shouldn't trust him in regards to the swear. Visu, additionally, this learned in a bias. In the case where we have somebody, a balabayas, a homeowner, who hired a worker, and he had not yet paid him, and then he goes to a store owner, and he says to the store owner, give this person who worked for me goods. Now the store owner comes and claims that he gave the goods ready, and he wants to get money from the balabais, from the homeowner who hasn't paid him. And the person who worked for him also says, I didn't get any goods, you owe me money still. So both of these people swear, and they get the money. So why don't we say over there, that's for sure over there, somebody's for sure lying. So that being the case, since we don't trust them in regards to monetary matters, we also should not trust them in regards to the swear. Visu, additionally, this Rav says, that if, let's say we have a Shomer Chinam, someone who was watching an object without getting paid. So if it gets stolen, so he has no obligation to pay for it. So if indeed he makes such a claim, so he has to swear three different things in order to be able to be exempt from paying based on his claim. The first thing is, He swears that he didn't do any negligence. He also swears that before it was stolen, he hadn't touched it. Because if he had touched it, then it would have entered into his possession, and he would have had an obligation to pay in any event, even if it was taken from him. And also has to swear that it's not still in his possession. So what do we see? Why don't we say that since we suspect him, that it's still in his possession? Because we're making him swear that it's not in his possession. So since we don't trust him in regards to monetary matters, we also shouldn't trust him in regards to a swear. He shouldn't be allowed to swear at all. So what we see from all of these questions is clearly that generally speaking, we do not say that if someone is suspected in regards to money matters, he's also going to be suspected in regards to a swear. Because generally speaking, people who are dishonest in monetary matters, still they would never swear falsely. So therefore, even if a person is suspected of being dishonest in monetary matters, he can indeed swear. We would trust him to swear. Now the Gemara continues, and in regards to something that Rabbi Yechanan had said, Rabbi Yechanan had said that the reason that we have a swear in the Mishnah, when you have two people that are arguing over the same talis, the same garment, so the reason that we make each of them swear is because we're afraid that if we don't make them swear, so anyone can go along and just grab the garment of his friend, he'd come to court, they would just split it, so anyone can just steal very easily. So what we said is that in order to get it, so you have to actually swear that indeed it really belongs to you. So Abai doesn't like this explanation, and the reason is because if the person, we, if we assume that someone is going to go along and is going to grab someone else's thing just indiscriminately, so then this person is a really low person. It's not like he has any kind of rationalization for doing this. He just does this without thinking. So therefore, we would not trust such a person with a swear. So rather, Abai says as follows. 
Abaye Amar. Abaye says a different explanation. The reason that we make you swear in the Mishnah is because we're afraid that the truth is that the reason that Ruvain is grabbing Shimon's talis, we, we really think that it is completely Shimon's talis. And the reason Ruvain is grabbing half of it is because Ruvain was owed money by Shimon for a long time. And that loan had been taken out a long time ago and Shimon doesn't even remember it anymore. So Ruvain knows that if he brings Shimon to court to try to collect his money back, so Shimon is just going to completely deny that he owes this money at all. So Ruvain says to himself, listen, I'm never going to get my money back, so what I'll do is I'll grab his garment, and this way I'll be able to get my money back that way. So what we do is we make this guy swear to confirm that in fact our assumption is correct, because if in fact Shimon owes Ruvain this money, so he has the right to collect from any part of his possessions. So we make sure through this swear that in fact he has the rights to this half, and that's the understanding of Abai why we have this swear. So Gemara says, oh, hold on a second, if that's so, why are we making him swear? Let him just take it. If he really has rights to it, let him tell us the whole story, and he can just take. So it must be the reason that we make him swear is for a different reason. We have a chashash, we're afraid, Shem Safek milvi yishani love. That, not that he knows for sure that the guy owes him money, but rather he thinks that it's possible that he still owes him money. So now what this swear does is it weeds out such a case because the person is not going to swear to get this money that he's not even positive that he really is owed. Sigmar says, hold on a second. But aren't we saying that he's grabbing this money even though he's not sure if he's even owed the money? So maybe he would also swear because he really thinks that there's a possibility that he's owed this money. So Rav Sheshit's Brader Ravidi explains like this. A person would separate himself from saying a swear which he's not sure that he's swearing correctly. But people, in their minds, they're not going to separate themselves from money that they think might be theirs. My time, what's the reason? Because money can always be returned. But a swear, once you've sworn, you can never take back that swear. So that's why a person would in fact grab money that he's not sure, he thinks it might be his. But he would never swear in a case that he's not sure. So therefore, by making him swear, so we weed out that case and make sure that the talus, the garment, ends up in the hands of the correct person. The Gemara continues. Bani Reb Zira, Reb Zira asks the following question. Let's say these two guys come into court and they're both holding on to this garment and one of them grabs it away from the other person and it's all happening in front of us, in front of the court. What's going to be the halach in such a case? So Gemara says, Hey Chidami, what are the details of this case precisely? If the person who was grabbed away from, he was quiet, so then he admitted that it doesn't really belong to him. If he's screaming, what else should he be doing? So it's pretty clear cut what would have to be the halacha in such a case. Someone says, Lloyd, Srika. No, I'll tell you what we need it for. The case is as follows. The Shosik Mekar, originally he was quiet, and then afterwards he starts yelling. My, so what are we going to say? From the fact that he was quiet originally, do we say that that means that he really admitted it? Perhaps, since he's yelling now, so it reveals the fact that the reason why he was quiet originally is because he figured to himself, I don't need to make a big ruckus because the sages all saw what's happening. They saw him take it away from me. And therefore, that's why he was quiet originally. So which way do we say it? Amar of Nachman, sir, of Nachman says, Toshima, I'll bring you a proof. When did we say in the Mishnah that they split it up if they both swear? That's if they're both holding on to it. If, let's say, only one of them was holding on to it, so the other person has to prove that he has any portion in it. 
Meaning, as we mentioned before, possession is ten tenths of the law, so to speak. Hey, Chidami, now the Gemara says, what's the case over here? If the case is just simply as it says, it's obvious, of course, if one person is holding it, the other person has no claim to it, so therefore he has to prove it if he wants to take anything from it. So that can't be the case, that's too obvious. So I'll tell you, it must be our case, exactly the same case as ours. They came in together, and both of them were holding it, and then one of them grabbed it away from the other one, and the person who got grabbed from, so he's quiet, and then he starts yelling, Exactly our case. So, and what do we see? We see how much He has to prove it if he wants to get it at all now. He's lost it. So, Mar says, Look, no, that's not true. Because I can tell you the case is as follows. They had both come in front of us, they were both holding on to it. And we say to them as follows. So, we told them to go split it up, and they left. And then they came back into the court. And only one of them is holding it. The person who's holding on to it is saying, This guy, he admitted that it was really mine. And the other guy, he is saying, no, what are you talking about? I didn't admit that it was yours. I gave you the whole thing, but I sold it to you. I want you to give me the money now. So we say to him like this. We say to the guy who's saying that he sold it to him. Until now, as far as we're concerned, you suspected him of being dishonest, of stealing your thing. And then you go and you sell it to him without any witnesses. So clearly you are incorrect. The guy who's holding it is correct, and therefore he gets to keep it. And that's the novelty of the case. If you place him another possibility, another way of explaining this, what the novelty is, Kidiktani. It's more simply as it says. The Asulakaman Kitafas Lachaminahu. And they came in front of us, and one of them was completely holding on to it. Vidh Misarich Basruchi. And the other one was grabbing at it. He was trying to get at the edges of it. Even according to Sumchus, who ordinarily says that if you have money that we're not sure about, so they split it up, even without a swear, Sumchus. So Sumchus would agree in our case the sirchal of klumhu that even with a swear you're not going to get this money because when you're trying to grab at it it's not significant it's not considered that you have any part in it so we don't have an answer yet to our question if it's indeed true that when one of them grabs away from the other one in front of us and the person is quiet for a little bit and then he starts screaming so if the halacha would be that we take it away from the guy who grabbed it so if let's say he tries to make it holy to the temple before he even tries to grab it and he tries to grab it away from the other guy so to speak by giving it to the temple as a donation so for sure if he can't grab it into his possession he certainly can't make it a donation to the temple however However, if let's say the halacha would be that if he grabbed it away from the other person, we would allow him to keep it if that person was quiet and then he starts to scream. What's going to be if he didn't grab it and he just tried to donate it to the temple? What's going to be the halacha in such a case? Since we find that Mar said that when a person just says that he wants to give something to the temple, so it's considered similar to where a person actually physically gives an object to another person, meaning it's considered a full-fledged Kenyan, a full-fledged transfer of possession. So over here as well, even though he didn't actually physically take it, came on the Takfa dummy. By saying that he's giving it over to the temple, it's as if he's grabbed it. Aydilma, perhaps, takfa. In reality, he has not yet grabbed it. It's not his possession. Uchsiv, and the verse says, It says that when a person is going to donate something to the temple, it refers to his house. So, just like a house is in one's possession, so only if something is in his possession does he have the ability to sanctify to the temple. So maybe that would exclude this case where it has not yet entered into his possession. Tashima, the Gemara says, I'll bring you a proof. There was a certain bathhouse. We turn to Davavam and page 6b. That two people were arguing about it. One was saying that it was his. The other person was saying that it was his. They were both arguing who owned this bathhouse. 
One of them got up and he donated it to the temple. So Rav Hananya and Rav Oishia and all the sages, they stopped going to that bathhouse because now there was a suffix, they weren't sure perhaps the rightful owner had been the one who donated it to the temple. So Rav Oishia says to Rabba, Ki kafri. When you go to Rav Chizda in Kafri, ask him about this case, what we should do. Ki Asa so on his way he passed through this place called Sura. So he met Rav Hamnuna and Rav Hamnuna told him, Masisani. The answer to this question is actually in the Mishnah. Suffolk Bechayris, Echad Bechor Adam, Vechad Bechor Behema. If let's say there's a suffix, you have a doubt in regards to whether or not an animal or the firstborn child is in fact considered halachically a firstborn child in regards to the concept of Bechayris, the firstborn child or the firstborn animal. So they have to be given to the Kohen, they have to be redeemed from the Kohen. However, if let's say in regards to a kid, so if the mother had had a miscarriage before this child was born, so this child is not considered a firstborn. So sometimes it can be unclear whether or not there was a miscarriage before, because it's unclear if there was a pregnancy to begin with. So whether we're talking about the bechor, the firstborn of a man, firstborn of an animal, being tahir and tamayim, whether we're talking about pure animals, impure animals, hamoitzi mechaver haraya, in all these cases, whoever has it, so the other person has to prove it if he wants to get it. Meaning, if you're supposed to give it to the kohen, the kohen doesn't have it yet. So if he wants to get it, he has to prove that indeed. It's actually his. And Rashi says you could also have the opposite side, at least in the Havi, in the first stage of the Gemara, where let's say if the Kohen, he grabbed it away from the Jew, and at first the Jew was quiet, but then he starts to yell. It's exactly parallel to the cases that we've been speaking about until now. So in such a case, so we say, Now it's considered that the Jew has to prove it if he wants to get it back from the Kohen. And we learned the price in regards to this. It's forbidden to use it in order to take its shearings or to work this animal. So we see that there's a holiness upon it. Over here, so we said that if the Kohen had grabbed it, we won't take it away from him. Because we see that the Jew is referred to somebody who's Motsi Mechavero. If he wants to get it away from him, so he has to prove it. And we see that if, let's say, the Kohen had not grabbed it, it would also be forbidden bidden from taking its shearings or from using it for any purpose because we see the holiness is upon it. So that directly parallels our case. We have two people arguing about something. One of them, instead of grabbing it physically, so he's mocked the shit, he donates it to the temple. And if he had grabbed it, it would have become his. That's what we seem to be assuming. And now that he didn't grab it, but he was mocked the shit, he donated it to the temple. We see from here that it can in fact be considered holy from before, despite the fact that the coin had not grabbed it yet. Amarle Rabba, so Rabba responds and says to him, You're trying to prove something to me from the holiness of a firstborn animal? You know, even if I would tell you that if the Kohen grabbed it, and the Jew is then quiet, and then he starts yelling, and the court would decide that we would take it away from the Kohen, even though we're giving it back to the Jew, it would still be forbidden from taking its shearings or using it. Because the reason that we would say that there's a holiness upon it has nothing to do with the fact if he could take it, or he could not take it. That's due with the fact that there's a suffix, there's a doubt here, that there's a possibility that there's holiness upon this animal from the very beginning. No one ever was maktish, no one ever said that this thing is holy. It was born with holiness. And the fact that it's a suffix, it's unclear if it had that holiness, that's why we say that it's forbidden, because of that doubt. But there's certainly no proof to a case where you have two people arguing about it, it's not clear to whom it belongs, and one of them is maktish, one of them sanctifies it to the temple. It's completely incomparable.
So Rav Hanania turns to Rav and says, Tanya the Messiah Lecha, I have a brice that actually supports what you said. Hasveikos, we're talking about a case of a doubt, and Rashi explains that the case is where we have the firstborn animal of a donkey, and it's not clear if this is or is not the firstborn animal. So now, if it for certain was the firstborn animal, so what you would do is you would take the donkey, you transfer the holiness onto a sheep, and you would take the sheep and give it to a coin. However, since it's a doubt over here, so misafik out of this doubt, so we transfer the holiness, which is a doubtful holiness, onto the sheep indeed, but then you don't have to give the sheep to the coin. It's not considered something that has to be given over to the coin, but rather the person himself is allowed to keep it. So now, this animal, which is a doubt, can be included into the corral in order to take off the tithe. Now, the way the tithe would work was that they would take all of the animals that had been born that year, they would bring them all into the corral, they would let them out of the corral one by one, and every tenth one they would mark off that this is Meister Behema, this is the tithe. And then they would take the animal, which was a tithe, and the owners would take it to Jerusalem, and if there were no blemishes upon it, so they would bring it as a sacrifice, and they would eat the flesh of that animal. And if there was a blemish on it, so it could be slaughtered, and it could be eaten by the owners as well. So over here, so this animal, even though this is a suffix, it's a doubt whether or not it's the redemption of an animal, which is a petachamor, the firstborn of the donkey, so theoretically, it could have been that the Kohen could have gotten this, but we say, no, the Kohen doesn't get this, so this animal is allowed to be included in this whole series of the tithing. So Rav Hananya says to Rabbi Esfals, So if it would be true, not like you said, that if the Kohen grabs it, so we wouldn't take it away from him if the Jew was quiet and then he screamed afterwards, How could it be? If the Kohen has any claim to it, how could it be that it would be allowed to be taken by the Jew where the Kohen didn't grab it and include it in the tithing process? It would come out that the Jew is using someone else's stuff or something that might be someone else's stuff to take off his own tithes. So clearly, says Rabbi Hananya, this is a proof to what Rabbi said before, which was that it's not considered the coins at all. If he grabs it, we're going to take it away from him. So even though there is a suffix, kedusha, there's a doubt to the holiness, nevertheless, it's still for sure that it does not belong to the coin. There's no monetary tviya. There's no monetary claim that he has to this animal. I'm really Abaya. So Abaya turns to Rabbi Hananya and he says like this, If you want to bring a proof, you can't bring it from here. Because I could tell you that it could be that it's not considered so clear-cut that it belongs to the to the regular Yisrael, to the Jew. It could be that it's a suffix, it's a doubt whether it belongs to the Jew or to the Kohen. But I'll tell you what's the case over here. How can you possibly do this? The case could be talking about where you have exactly nine animals plus this one animal, which is a suffix which is unclear. Because either way you look at it, either side of the doubt, we could say as follows. If this animal actually belongs to the Jew and not to the Kohen, Shabbat then it's fine that you're taking off mice, so you have exactly 10 animals now, so it's appropriate to take off that tithe. And on the suffix, on the side of the doubt, that says that it actually belongs to the Kohen, maybe it really does belong to him on that side, on that possibility. However, So on that side of the doubt, so then you only have 9 animals, and when you have 9 animals, you don't have to take off a tithe. So perhaps that's the reason why it's permitted to use that animal. Nothing to do with the fact that it's completely not considered the Kohen's. So then Abayah says, This thing that I just said is actually not true. If it's an animal which is a suffix, which is a doubt to whom it belongs, if it could possibly belong to a coin, you would never have the option to take off Meister to tithe with that animal. And in fact, Rabbi Hanania would seem as correct. How do we know this? It's now we have a Mishnah. 
if let's say one of the animals that had already been counted and walked out of the corral went back into the corral, jumped in, so now we have a doubt in regards to all of the animals because everyone we could say is perhaps one of them that's already potter, that already has an obligation. So once we have a doubt, so we say they're all potter. They all have no obligation. And if it would be true that if we have a doubt, we would still need to take off a tithe. So let him take off a tithe and either way you look at it, if this animal is indeed an animal which has an obligation, shop so then you're taking off a proper miser, a proper tithe. And if it's not an animal that has an obligation, it's the animal that indeed jumped back in, so then we'll have a different reason to say that there's no obligation to take off the miser, to take off the tithe, and that is the concept of minin haroi. We'll see what that is very soon. The Amar Rava, Rava says, minin haroi poiter. If let's say somebody's counting, and he has a fitting number, that's what the words mean, minin haroi means a fitting number. What's a fitting number? So you're counting, and you have ten animals inside of the corral. And as the fifth one comes out, you've counted off five animals already, one of the animals that's actually inside of the corral dies. So now, when you first counted the first five, so there was an appropriate amount that would create an obligation for a tithe. But now, the other animals that are left, you no longer have that appropriate amount. So the ones that were already counted, since when they were counted, there was an appropriate amount, so they're potter. They no longer have an obligation to be counted again with Meiser by counting out these ten animals and taking off the tenth. However, the animals that were not yet counted, so then they will still have an obligation if more animals are born during that year to count them out along with those other animals. So this concept is actually learned out of a special xeris, a concept, it's learned out from a verse. So this concept would also apply to us as well in our case. Because let's say you had 10 animals, and one of those animals was the animal that had jumped back in and there was no obligation. But since there's enough animals inside of the corral still to obligate all the animals that were counted already, so therefore there's no longer an obligation. So either way we should say that there's no obligation. It's fine that you counted off this animal. So what can we say? Clearly, when the Torah says that you have to count off a tithe, you have to count off a tenth, so we have to have animals that we know for sure have an obligation. So too, in our case, the discussion between Rabbi Hananya and Rabbah and Abaye, that whole case with the Pinyu Petachamor, we have the animal that was transferred, and it's a suffix, we're not sure if the, if the firstborn of this donkey really had an obligation or not, it was transferred onto a sheep, and now you counted out that sheep as part of the group. So clearly, it's not considered a suffix. It's not considered a doubt whether or not this actually belongs to the Jew. It's considered that it for sure belongs to the Jew. So that indicates the fact, indeed, like Rabbi Hananya said, which is a proof to Rabbah, that in fact, the coin has no rights to grab this animal away from the Yisrael, from the Jew. It completely monetarily belongs to the Jew, and therefore that's why he has a right to use it as part of his tithing. So Rav Achmi Difti says to Ravina's follows, My Sveikos, what were we referring to when we talked about the Sveikos, these animals that were in question, that were using them as part of the tithing, bringing them into the corral as part of the, the counting of ten. If it's talking about animals that we're not sure if it's a firstborn animal or not, When the Torah talks about the concept of tithing, so it says that you have to take the tenth animal and make it holy. That implies that it can't have any holiness from before, and can't even have a doubt of having holiness from before. So the Gemara says, Lesafi pigeon petachamur. Actually, we could say that the case is talking about where there's a doubt in regards to an animal, a firstborn animal of a donkey that had been transferred the holiness onto a set, onto a sheep. Ukut Rav Nachman, and the case is like the following statement of Rav Nachman. Amar Rav Nachman, Amar Rabbi Baravua. Rav Nachman said the name of Rabbi Baravua. Yisrael sheyishle asara safek pitre chamor b'sech beisef. Let's say there's a Jew who has ten animals and that they're all firstborn animals of a donkey, but it's a question whether or not they're the firstborn animal, and he has them in his house. So what you do is you take 10 sheep and you transfer the holiness, the doubtful holiness onto these sheep. And you do the whole procedure of tithing. You bring them into the corral. You have them come out one by one. You take off the 10th animal. 
And then they all become his. And as Rashi points out, so when you do this whole action, so it doesn't actually transfer any holiness onto the cell, onto the sheep. So this was a case that we were talking about in the Brisa in regards to the Suffolk, an animal which was in doubt that you were still going to take off the tithes.